Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. I tell you, we're in a brand new year, and I think most of us are excited about what 2021 holds, what it's going to bring. We're particularly excited about 2021 in that we're praying we're gonna get behind, get, get over with this pandemic, get it behind us in the rearview mirror, and move on to whatever exciting new normal God has in store. But I wanna talk with you today about something that will serve you well, not just in 2021, but no matter where you are in life or what season you're in. I wanna talk to you today about this whole idea of getting our priorities straight. So in jumping in, fill in this blank if you would. Complete this sentence in your own mind. You don't need to blurt out your answer. Here it is. More than anything else, blank drives my life. How would you complete that? More than anything else, blank drives my life. That's an important question. And I believe that if we could get an honest survey of the American people, I think we'd find that there are two big things that drive a whole lot of people. One of them, of course, is wealth. You've seen those popular bumper stickers, he who dies with the most toys wins. Now, as Christians, we know that's not true, right? In fact, that kind of goes against everything we believe because we know that our value is totally apart from the toys, the stuff that we have in this life. And we know that God sees the heart and that all of us will stand before God one day and give an account for our life. So our riches have virtually nothing to do with the state of our soul. It's our attitude toward riches that's really important. And yet many people are driven by that desire for wealth. It's a primal driving force behind virtually every human activity. I mean, think about how much time you spend talking about money, uh, the fact that you don't have enough, how you can get more and all of those things. I think we'll admit it occupies a lot of our waking hours. And many people spend their lives passionately pursuing wealth only to find themselves at the end very disillusioned because even though they attained a level of success, even though they acquired a lot of things, it just didn't bring the satisfaction that they had hoped. Some anonymous author wrote, money will buy a bed but not sleep. It'll buy books but not brains, food, but not an appetite, finery, but not beauty. Money will buy a house, but it won't buy a home. It'll buy medicine, but not health. Money will buy luxuries, but not really culture. Money will bring or buy amusement, but it can't bring you true happiness. Money will buy a crucifix <coughs> to wear around your neck, but it won't buy you a savior. And believe it or not, <coughs> excuse me, they used to sell church pews, P 
People bought those, purchased them in the church years ago. And money may buy you a church pew, but it definitely won't buy you a home in heaven. The good news is that all the things that money won't buy, God has offered us freely through our Lord Jesus Christ, through a relationship with him and following him in our lives. And yet many Americans, if we're being honest, are caught up in the rat race of pursuing and being driven by more and more things. But secondly, if we could get a a really honest and candid survey, one where people felt it never would come back to bite them or nobody would try to shame them for their honest answers. If we could get honest, I think a lot of people are also driven by the desire for popularity. Now, you could substitute other words like reputation, recognition, fame, those kinds of things. General Colin Powell, in his autobiography called My American Journey, shares how insecure he was as a teenager. He talks about the fact that he was not a great athlete in school, but when he was 17 years old, he joined the ROTC in his school, and there was something about that uniform that made him feel distinctive, he said. And I sense that Everyone wants to feel special. Now, that may not be true of every single person, but I believe most people want to feel noticed. They want to feel like, I'm recognized here for being myself or being distinctive. I want some kind of adulation. Dr. Alfred Adler, one of the early pioneers in psychology, calls this the dominant impulse in human nature. He thought that the desire for recognition, the wish to be significant, was stronger than the drive for power or sex or anything else. Now, I believe that as parents, sometimes we try to get that recognition through our kids. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever suspicioned that a parent might be trying to to get their their sense of fulfillment through their children. I think all of us have done that as parents from time to time. And there's nothing wrong with feeling proud of your kids. It's just when we try to get our significance through our kids, that can become a real problem. I was on a Zoom call recently with a group of pastors from around the nation representing probably 30 different states. And uh, one of the guys was making a little presentation, and he said, I'll never forget, he said, proud daddy moment, proud daddy moment here. He said, last week, my son scored five touchdowns for his team at his junior high school. I was so proud. My chest was out. I was elated. I was sitting there going, that's my son doing that. And I think every parent cherishes that feeling. Hey, that's my daughter in that lead role in the local theater presentation. You've seen those bumper stickers, haven't you? My child is an honor roll at such and such a middle school, you know? And I think that's cool. Good for you and good for your child. That is awesome. Use that bumper sticker. Put it on there. But occasionally, I see parents that are kind of proud and puffed up. 
And I want to go, well, la-ti-da. I mean, is that really that big a deal? I mean, should we just stop traffic and let you come through? There's a competing bumper sticker that says, my child beat up an honor roll student. You know, and so we try to find some way to get recognition through our kids. You remember when the mother of James and John in the Bible tried that? It's, it's right there in the Gospels. She came to Jesus and said, now, Lord, hey, could we work out a little deal here? You know, I'm trying to get some recognition for my boys. Could, could, could we have one of them kind of sit at your right hand, one at your left hand in your glory, you know, in your kingdom? Could you do that for my boys, Lord? And there's nothing wrong with recognition and fame. I mean, Jesus had it during his day. The Bible says that his, the crowds increased and he became increasingly popular and his fame spread throughout Palestine. Nothing wrong or sinful about that at all. But here, here's the deal. Any person pursuing popularity or fame needs to ask herself this question. What's the end game here? I mean, why am I really doing this? What do I expect to get from this? And oh, here's, a, here's an important question now. What price am I willing to pay to get the popularity I seek? I'll never forget back in 2005, it was a Sunday that was packed with wonderful memories. After the last service here at Grace, my son Chase and I jumped in our van and we started ripping on the road, going on I-90 all the way to Rhode Island. We were, we were going to a church, and I remember feeling stressed out. It's like, dude, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it on time? And Pastor Dave Lachance, he and his wife Mary had started Christian Hill Community Church 20 years earlier. And God had blessed the church, and it had grown, but they had never owned a building of their own. They had always rented or leased. And so they had finally been able to purchase a building. They built this brand new state-of-the-art building, and it was gorgeous. And Dave had asked me to come and be the keynote speaker at the dedication service. And so I was glad to do that. Well, Chase and I, I got there. The service was fantastic. They invited in a lot of the local community leaders and dignitaries from around, and they had some fabulous music. I felt the service went really well. But afterward, we were going to go to a game at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. The Colts were playing the Patriots. Now, I wasn't a particular fan of, either, fan of either of those teams, but it was a game that had a lot of hype. I think it was like Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady, you know, at that time. And it just had a lot of fanfare around it. And one of the members of Dave's church that we just we dedicated the building owned this huge private box there at Gillette Stadium. And so, man, they had food catered. It was an unbelievable deal. Chase and I had a blast. But on the way to the game, Walter Day, the uh, chaplain for the Patriots, rode with us. And I remember asking Walt, you know, I, I said, look, man, you're around these athletes 
every single day. You see their life up close and personal. I said, well, what is the biggest problem that professional athletes have in keeping their priorities straight? I will never, ever forget his answer. He said, Rex, superstar athletes have so much money that sometimes they think they can throw money at their problems. But the fame and the money doesn't fill the hole in their soul. I thought, wow. What an answer. But you know what? Blaise Pascal, a great philosopher, mathematician, early scientist, who was a follower of Jesus, he said something centuries ago that's just about the same. He said there is a God-shaped hole in every human heart that only God can fill. And so I say to you today, if you're on a journey of faith here, only Jesus Christ can satisfy that hunger in your soul. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, he who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Now, the assumption behind those statements is that God is more than a hobby. It's not a deal where you can kind of check off the box. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, check. I believe, maker of heaven and earth, check. It's not that. No, it's a personal thing where he's number one. He's truly Lord in our lives, and it's making a difference in the way we live day by day. We're seeking him first. Is that you? Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So my challenge today is really a simple one. Let's get our priorities straight. Let's plunge into Christ and immerse our lives in him. We're in a series right now called life-changing resolutions. And boy, this is a big one. That we get our priorities straight, that God would be first in our lives and we would put first things first. It is huge. But here's the critical point. Just like last week was not a one and done. You remember last week where he said, you don't make this decision more of Jesus, less of me, and it's one and done. No, it's a daily thing. You remember that? This one is exactly the same. You can't get your priorities straight this week and expect them to stay in order for the rest of your life. This is a daily thing where we have the challenge daily to follow Christ and renew our commitment to him as number one in our lives. So let me ask you, as this new year has gotten off to a start, how do you feel about your priorities? If we were to put a spotlight on your life today, whoa, that feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? But if we did, are you prioritizing what you say you really value? It's an important question. So for the balance of our time today, I just want to spend these minutes giving you four basic filters or tests that I use in my own life, and I use them at least once a year, typically between Christmas and New Year, but I use them sometimes 
a couple of other times throughout the year to evaluate my own life. I'm gonna share them with you. This is very personal stuff for me. That each of them begins with T, but I'm also gonna add what I'm gonna call a hot tip in each of these four categories. You may wanna write some of these things down if that's helpful for you to remember them. I wanna give you a hot tip in how you can actually live out this principle. So here we go. The first test is time. Time, that's the first T word. You see, here's the deal. It's impossible to say, hey, my priorities are in line unless that's reflected in the way I use my time. You say, well, pastor, I'm a very, very busy person. I'll tell you that right now. I'm very, very busy. My life is very full. Well, I hear you. I think we use that phrase, I'm really busy, like a badge of honor. But I'm gonna gonna shake you up a little right now. In fact, I may make some of you flat out mad. Here's what I believe. I believe busy people are often lazy people. Ooh, ooh, I don't like that. I'm a busy person and I'm proud of it. Don't call me lazy, pastor. Listen, busyness in your life sometimes can mean that you're just going through the motions and frenetically running here and there, but you've never stopped to actually examine why am I doing all this. In fact, there's a little acronym that may be true of you. I hope it's not, but it may be. Busy may simply stand for being under Satan's yoke. And many busy people, it just simply means they're under Satan's yoke. Satan would love to see you busy. He really would, running here and there throughout your day, frenetically racing all over the place, but without ever pausing to examine your priorities. Why am I doing this? Where's it all going? What's the end game here? Why am I living this way? Am I really living my values? So, if you're living by the clock rather than the compass, you may be under Satan's yoke. Living by the clock represents appointments, schedule, unexamined activities. Go, 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 go. No thinking. Living by the compass And God's true north represents living by your carefully examined values, living by what God has said in his word, by his principles, by your God-given calling and mission in life, living by your conscience and what you know to be right. So, are you living by the compass or by the clock? It's an important question. One we need to ask, I ask myself every single year when I do this evaluation, and often more than once a year. So here's my hot tip for this first T word. When it comes to time, here it is, don't prioritize your schedule, schedule your priorities. Big difference. Don't prioritize your schedule, it'll never work. Schedule your priorities. Here's what I mean. Get the big rocks in first, the top priorities. Get those on the schedule. Example, when our kids were really small, when we got their school schedule, when I knew when their games were going to be, when that big play was going to be, when these important school events were going to happen 
in their lives, I put those on the schedule first and everything else is gonna move around that. What would that look like for you? Certainly it would involve worship. Certainly it should involve devotion time to God. Certainly it should involve some kind of service and giving out your time in serving others. Does your life reflect that today? I love this prayer from the Apostle Paul. He gave it in Philippians chapter one. He said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And here's the phrase I love, so that you may be able to discern what is best. What a great prayer for all of us to pray at the start of this new year. When you plan your schedule, does it reflect your true values and priorities? Here's the second T word. First one was time. The second one is treasure. Now, we say God comes first, but does he receive the first fruits of our treasure? When your budget is tight, what gets cut from your budget? You got these credit card bills. At the same time, you have a commitment to the Lord. You want to honor him in every facet of your life. But to be honest, much of the credit card bills are just kind of vacation and state-of-the-art entertainment system and a bunch of personal items that you just kind of wanted, but they aren't really needs. And a lot of entertainment on there. So what gets cut? Jesus said in Matthew 6, for your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's my hot tip for this area. If you really want to get your priorities straight when it comes to money, this is what Debbie and I practice. Make it a discipline to give to kingdom causes regularly. Make that a discipline. Build it in just like clockwork into your life. Make it a discipline. What I'm saying to you is that you, if you only give the kingdom causes when you kind of feel like it, when you kind of have this desire, when, when you kind of remember it, you're probably always going to be giving to God out of the leftovers, not the first fruits. So if you practice tithing like Debbie and I do, I would suggest that you actually automate that. That's what we've done. We just went on our website here. We created an account through Grace's website so that we would just be giving with regularity. Now, we've always given regularly, but we did it through writing a check, and that's fine too. But we just wanted something that's such a high priority in our lives when it comes to our treasure. We just wanted it to happen automatically so that there was not even a chance of it getting ignored or missed. It's built in, and it's consistent. And if you really want to get your priorities straight, I would suggest you invest your money in the kingdom of God. Jesus essentially threw it out there as a challenge. Put your money where your mouth is. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your interest, that's where your heart, that's where your passion is going to go. Let, let me illustrate what I mean. I never had, growing up, I had no interest in the market whatsoever, the stock market, mutual funds, any of that stuff, no interest meant nothing to me. I never checked on it. I ever thought about it. But in my late 30s, I, we finally had enough money 
that we could invest a little bit of money into some blue chip mutual funds that were kind of based indirectly on the market as to how they did, how they performed. And so once we invested that little bit of money, I suddenly had a lot of interest in the market. Wow, I wanted to know every day. I probably drove Deb crazy. Did you know the market was up today? Wow, it's awesome. Oh man, the market's down today. Why was I so interested in that? Because I had put money there, I had put treasure there, and suddenly I became quite interested. I cared a lot about it. When you put your money in something, your interest follows. And when you start investing in the kingdom of God, making more and better disciples, believe me, your passion for the kingdom is going to grow exponentially. So here's the deal. If I were to look at your bank account, if I were to look at your checkbook, what would I see? Would it reflect what you say you really value? You could tell an awful lot about a person, about how they manage the treasure, the money, the resources God has entrusted to them. So two words so far, time and treasure. But let me give you the third one that I always think about and evaluate, and that is the word talk. Talk. What do you talk about most of the time? What seems to characterize your conversation? Let me tell you what an authority said about this area of our lives. Uh, the authority's name is, is Jesus Christ. He, he knows what he's talking about. Here's what he said about this, this whole area. He said, listen, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of her heart. If you want to know what she's really about, look at what she talks about most of the time. What she posts on her social media, what she says on social media. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. But the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up. But I tell you that men will have to give an account in the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. So we talked about this a bit last week. Remember that if we're really filled with the Spirit, the first place you're going to notice it is, is in the way you talk. It just affects the way we talk because the mouth is a billboard for the soul. So if you really want to know what's going on inside a person, listen to them talk for a period of time. So here's my hot tip. Because that tool, that tool you have called speech, that tool you have with using words is incredibly powerful. So here's the hot tip. Determine, and it has to be a determination, that you will use words to build up and not destroy. Through my years as a pastor, I have on occasion had those difficult conversations and I've looked into the eyes of a number of men and women through the years where their speech was just destroying people, members of their family, coworkers, friends, 
people in their small group that they had just wounded and damaged, and it had become a lifestyle. Many of them weren't even thinking about it. And I've looked in the eyes of people and said, I'm afraid you don't understand how powerful your words are. Do you understand what you're doing to your kids with those words you speak? Do you understand why so many of your relationships just go belly up and just go haywire because your words are so destructive? You gotta make a choice. Words can build up or they can tear down. Don't spend your year tearing people down with words, folks. Listen, don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus said you're gonna give an account for every idle, careless word you use. Think about that before you make your next statement on social media. I'm gonna get, Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Jesus said you're gonna give an account for every idle, careless word you speak. Time, treasure, talk. But here's the fourth and final T word, thinking, thinking. What do you think about most of the time? Where does your mind tend to dwell? If we could splash up on our big screens today at each of our locations, your personal thought life, how comfortable would you feel? Huh? How would you feel about that? Now, the Bible says a whole lot about the importance of the mind, and I can tell you, we could just camp out here all day long. It, it's in, it, it is incredible how much the Bible says about the role of the mind. But let me just give you one verse. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what their, that nature desires. But, watch this now, those who live in accordance with the Spirit. Who is that? That's the people we talked about last week. More of Jesus, less of me. People who pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And the spirit in their life has such control that he dominates their personality and determines their behavior. That's who this is talking about. Those who have their minds set in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Is that you? Is your mind set on what the Spirit desires? Howard Johnson made a fortune in the hotel industry. He was a tycoon, an amazingly successful businessman. And toward the end of his life, when he was definitely an old man, he was being interviewed by a reporter. And the reporter said, if you had one thought, sir, to leave with the American people, Mr. Johnson, what would it be? Howard Johnson thought for a moment, and then he said, I think I'd tell them to always put the curtain on the inside of the tub when they take a shower. Really? May our thinking go a little deeper than that. You say, oh, well, he was just being funny. Maybe. But how deep does your thinking go? 
Colossians 3 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Sit, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So here's, here's my hot tip for this area. I would suggest that you wanna live out this priority, find a place for scripture in your daily thoughts. I don't know about you, but I, I, in my own life, I've noticed this. My mind can just go down into some rabbit holes pretty fast. Does yours ever do that? I was out running this morning early. It wasn't even daylight yet, and I was out running, and I, I was intentionally going over some scripture even. Now, catch this. I was literally going over some chapters of scripture this morning in my mind, and I found myself, my mind suddenly went on a side road down into a negative path, on some rabbit hole about some people who've caused some pain in my life. Can you believe that? Has that ever happened to you? Just like, and I don't, I honestly don't know how long I stayed there. I, I really don't. I'm thinking it was maybe two or three minutes probably. And suddenly I caught myself like, what am I, why am I doing that? I'm rehearsing scripture here. Why did my mind go down into that negative rabbit hole? And folks, I'm gonna tell you, I don't know about you, but I would probably live in those kind of rabbit holes and those dark negative paths on a regular basis if I did not practice this hot tip that I'm telling you right now. Find a place for scripture in your daily thoughts. Now, here's the way I do it. For me, I intentionally, from 6 a.m. in the morning until 8 p.m. in the evening, at least once per hour, for those hours, I intentionally ponder, think about, review, meditate on either a verse or a chapter of Scripture for each of those hours. You see, here's the problem. Some of you, and this is a wonderful discipline, if you do this, you are rare, and I applaud you. Please keep doing it. But some of, some of you have these devotional times early in the morning, and then your day kind of goes to hell from there. Amen, 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 amen. You started well, you had great intentions, you focused your mind on God and the things of God, but then it just kind of went to pot after that, right? We need more than just one little time each day. That's why I have to intentionally return my mind to Scripture over and over again throughout the day, and I would highly recommend you do this. So there they are, four tips for test, four tips for tests for getting your priorities straight in 2021. Bob Benson was a popular author and speaker, and he was thrilled when his son's college senior class asked Bob to be their commencement speaker. He was so stoked up. He was proud to be asked. He said, I went out and bought a brand new suit. I wanted to look so wonderful. It was amazing. And he said, sure enough, I stood up and I delivered what I think was the speech of my life. I felt it was virtually flawless. But after the speech... He said, one of the seniors came up and said, thank you, Mr. Benson, for that speech, but I, I think I ought to tell you that your best is button crooked. <laughs> he said, I couldn't believe it. Sure enough, I looked down, it was all cockeyed. It looked 
goofy and silly. I couldn't believe it. I was so embarrassed this whole time. I'd been standing up there all proud and happy, and this just looked so ridiculous. I could not believe it. But he said, as I pondered that, I realized, you know what? It's not hard to button your vest wrong. Just get the first button wrong, and it's all messed up from there. But it's not hard to button your vest right either, is it? Just get the first button right. And all the rest tends to kind of fall into place. I think the same is true of life. It's not hard to get your life so messed up you think there's no way to straighten this out. Some of you feel like that today. Just get one or two priorities out of whack and all the rest can feel like chaos. But here's the good news as I close. It's really not all that complicated to straighten it out again either. But it does require putting first things first. It does require seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's amazing how things fall into place. Father, Thank you that we can look into your word like this and examine our lives. You've given us your word not to fill our heads with information, but to change our lives. And may the people of grace, the people who call grace their home, the people that you are using, Lord, in this church family to influence not only one another, like iron sharpening iron, but people outside in the community and indeed around the world, Lord, would you help us to live by your grace with our priorities in order? Hallelujah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.